Hello and welcome to Water Q&A, Global Water Forum's monthly dive into the challenges of water governance in the 21st century. I'm Jesper Svensson, your host. In this episode, I interview Dr. Marina Povitkina at Gothenburg University about democracy, quality of government and water provision in the Republic of Moldova. Good morning, Marina, and uh, welcome to this uh, program. Thank you very much, Jesper. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I want to ask you first, what is and is not democratization? And I know this is not a, a trivial uh, question, by the way, because I was recently in in China and I had a discussion about democratization there. And I said, uh, Taiwan is a democracy, but China is not a democracy. And then uh, the, the response I got was that I was wrong, but China is an elite democracy. So it was very weird, but can you can you walk us through what is and what is not democratization? What I can contribute to this uh, debate, I think, is the theoretical um, perspective that uh, what we as academics understand as democracy uh, and it is a result of uh, enormous amount of work over many years, many decades. Um, democracy is a package, is a package of uh, characteristics of the political system. And it implies, um, first, and, uh, first and foremost, free and fair elections. So elections where the competition between the candidates is free and fair. It, it implies... Uh, universal suffrage or almost universal suffrage. It implies uh, the presence of the freedom of speech. So people are free to express themselves, express their opinions, express their religion. It implies the presence of alternative sources of information, alternative media. So it's uh, basically what it means that the uh, governments, uh, if, if there are media controlled by the government, there is always some alternative uh, to that um, sort of the opposition media. Uh, it implies that uh, anyone is free to compete in the elections. So uh, everyone is free to organize in the political parties and uh, compete in this free elections. It also implies the mm, presence of uh, uh, the possibilities to organize in civil society groups and uh, somehow put pressure sort of on the government lobby, the interests of the government. It's a uh, democratization, so to say. We have some sort of improvement in one or each of these categories, which brings the regime closer towards having this package of democracy. And uh, um, sometimes uh, it is conflated, uh, like uh, sometimes when there is a movement in one of uh, the categories, let's say within the democratization package and then the movement uh, downwards in another one, it can be conflated that there is, oh, there is some movement towards democracy, but what's overlooked is uh, the movement downwards on another uh, aspect of uh, demo democracy. And uh, one of the sort of successful democratization stories that we could see is, for example, Chile or Tunisia, but one of the, where the revolutions or democratic revolutions really brought uh, the change in government. Uh, towards being more inclusive, towards bringing more freedom of speech and uh, freedom of um, association. and But one of the failures, 
the, that uh, the history has brought us, for example, Egypt after the Arab Spring, uh, where uh, the changes uh, that se seemingly could bring democratizations in reality ended up being in another authoritarian uh, regime, which is no uh, better than the one that was before the revolution. I, I read one of your papers recently that looked at the relationship between democracy, quality of government and water quality across the world. Can you tell us a little bit about that uh, interconnections? Uh, so what we did in the paper is that we uh, compared all regimes in the world or all <laughs> regimes that we could find data on. Uh, and uh, um, we saw, uh, sort of we measured how democratic the regimes was, how um, high their quality of government was. And what I mean by quality of government is that the combination of, uh, again, uh, regime characteristics uh, that imply a relatively low level of corruption, um, high rule of law and um, um, high bureaucratic capacity or sort of the quality of public administration within the government that uh, sort of that's uh, responsible for implementing policies adopted by the government. And um, uh, we compared how uh, democratic regimes uh, perform compared to authoritarian regimes uh, in providing water quality to the their populations, depending on the quality of government. What we find is that um, uh, democracy is not sufficient for the provision of uh, water quality. And we would normally think that democratic regimes, because they are inclusive, that they uh, tend to take into account uh, more voices um, in decision-making than authoritarian regimes, they would be uh, providing more of this, what we call sort of, public services, governmental services, or some call it public goods, such as water quality to the population to satisfy sort of the basic needs of the population so that uh, these politicians could get reelected later. Um, but what we find that democracies do not uh, uh, do it universally. So some democracy is better than others. And the relationship between democracy and water quality provision depends on the quality of government and the presence of uh, corruption in the system, the, the strength of rule of law and the quality of public administration. And that uh, democracies with high quality of government tend to outperform all other regimes in providing safe drinking water to the population, while uh, democratic regimes with the quality of government uh, uh, where the quality of government is low, uh, seem to not do any better than authoritarian regimes uh, where the quality of government is low. So they don't uh, seem to deliver these basic services to their voters. That's really interesting. I know, I know in your paper you found there were four pathways or four institutional configuration, I think. Can you tell us what are those four pathways or four institutional configurations and can you tell us which countries approximately fall into these pathways yes so um the uh, relationship that we investigated democracy quality of government uh, and um, the relationship between democracy water quality and uh, sorry i'll take uh, so uh, the relationship that we investigated, the one between uh, democracy, quality of government and water quality, implies that uh, there are countries uh, that are democratic and have 
uh, high quality of government, that there are um, autocracies with uh, relatively high government equality, that there are um, autocracies with uh, low governmental quality, and that there are democracies with low uh, governmental quality. Uh, did it make and sense? which and which and which countries uh, fall into the to these ones? Because you had a, you had a global data set, right? Yes. Uh, so democracies uh, with uh, high quality of government, so the countries that score both high and uh, on democracy and uh, quality of government, are countries like uh, Sweden, Denmark, or basically most of the Western Europe, uh, Germany, uh, Austria, um, and so on. Uh, demo- uh, countries that score high on um, quality of government but low on democracy, so uh, authoritarian regimes with high quality of government or high institutional quality. Those are very few, actually. And uh, one of the examples is Singapore. Uh, another is uh, countries in, some countries in the Middle East, like Qatar, Kuwait. But uh, these are sort of the, the outliers of the world. So we have very few examples of authoritarian regimes where there is low corruption and the system works uh, um, basically, um, but uh, countries, democratic country, countries with low governmental quality, uh, such as South Africa, Brazil before Bolsonaro, Jamaica, Turkey before Erdogan, uh, some of the uh, countries of a former Soviet Union, um, uh, countries uh, with low quality of government that score low on democracy, so um, authoritarian regimes with low institutional quality, are those uh, um, like uh, Russia, for example, North Korea, Kazakhstan, uh, Tajikistan? What, what, what about North Korea and South Korea? Because they, I mean, they share borders and have the same kind of geography, but very different. Uh, yes. So South Korea actually scores both high on democracy and uh, on uh, quality of government. And North Korea is diametrically opposite. Uh, it's a uh, authoritarian regime with low quality of government. So it can be a, a nice, uh, for example, case study in comparison. How, how about Canada and the United States? Uh, Canada and United States. Well, basically, we did our study before, uh, right before Trump. Um, okay. uh, so they both score high on democracy and quality of government. But there have been shifts in democracy in the United States for a couple, for the past couple of years. There are still some uh, checks and balances, though. So it's still considered to be a democracy. Uh, and um, how about authoritarian regimes? What do we know and don't know? about the interconnection between provision of clean, safe water and authoritarian regime, would you say? Uh, what I could say from analysis and uh, from the theory is that uh, uh, in authoritarian settings, the leaders do not have to listen to many of the voices. The uh, key survival strategy for the authoritarian re- leader is to satisfy the elite um, that uh, keeps uh, the power base uh, of the authoritarian leader and keep the basic uh, needs of the population satisfied or at least uh, persuade the populations that their needs are satisfied to stay in power and avoid the revolution. So um, the incentives for the authoritarian leader to provide um, 
public goods and services to the population uh, universally in high quality is uh, low because it is quite costly. And instead of this investment, it's uh, sort of easier for authoritarian leaders to uh, keep the rents or attack these tax rents, for example, for themselves. And uh, what we see um, around the world is that, for example, some communist regimes, they have succeeded in providing um, the network, the some water pipe networks to the population, let's say. But uh, at that time, there was another problem uh, of the quality aspect of the drinking water provision because there has been intense inter industrialization and agricultural development. So water quality was suffering a lot. Uh, uh, so there was some sort of uh, universal aspect of the public goods uh, provision by uh, in terms of spreading the network but uh, low investment in drinking water quality uh, but uh, in terms of uh, non-communist authoritarian regimes we uh, we don't uh, see such trends normally and what we uh, really need is more research in sort of in the case studies. What's happening in those authoritarian regimes that score high on uh, quality of government uh, and the sort of uh, how does it compare to uh, regimes where there is low authoritarian uh, regimes where there is low quality of government? And I think one of the sort of interesting questions now that's for future research and future investigations is how this authoritarian regimes uh, with high uh, um, governmental quality compared to democracies with low governmental quality, do uh, the authoritarian regimes do better uh, than democracies uh, with low uh, governmental quality in uh, providing safe drinking water to the population? This we don't know the answer to yet. So that 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 would mean, like you you compare cases, for example, within China, where you have variation in in terms of corruption, but also variation in terms of provision of water quality, and, and then you would compare that with a large democracy, I guess? Uh, for example, or um, I would s uh, it depends also what, like, let's say if someone would like to do such an investigation, it's uh, important to um, check who is responsible for um, water quality, like f for provision of water quality. Is it local administration? Is it central government? And that sort of can we do the subnational investigation here or not really? Uh, I would be, for example, interested to see like the comparison between Rwanda, who is an uh, authoritarian regimes, but ha which have uh, some improvements in the institutional quality recent years in the its uh, less fortunate democratic neighbors. Is that because they have more women in represented in political institutions? Is that is that why they have made some advancements? Or? Well, it's very difficult to say what exactly caused uh, the um, changes, but um, uh, that's also could be something for uh, future investigation. More, I I envision some sort of process tracing what exactly brought those changes. I imagine there is a configuration of factors. Interesting. Um, I know in your paper you talk a lot about the Republic of Moldova. Can you take us through the the evolution and the the sequencing of reforms of Republic of Moldova? Why, why does Republic of Mold Moldova? Why is it interesting in in um, if we look at this relationship between democracy, quality of government, and and clean, safe water? water? 
So when we did the um, case study or our investigation of the case of Moldova, it was uh, scoring high on all, all our democracy indices. Uh, it had uh, freedom of speech, freedom of um, media, uh, freedom of association. Elections were um, moderately free uh, and fair. It's a bit uh, jumping um, there and back now that we look uh, at the years around it. But at the time when we decided to choose this case, it was a perfect example of um, sort of a seemingly democratic regimes where the quality of government is low, where there is a pervasive corruption, where the uh, rule of law is uh, weak, and uh, where we see some signs of inefficient public administration. So we would, were uh, wondering how um, the, this uh, interplay of uh, high democracy and low quality of governments um, plays out for water provision in Moldova, sort of what's happening there, why is or and how quality of government hampers uh, this democratic regime to um, um, provide uh, safe drinking water to the populations. So Moldova, uh, water quality has suffered a lot from the Soviet um, um, agricultural and uh, industrial activities. So the water is polluted, the uh, land, uh, agricultural land is polluted, so all this pollution goes into water. And um, what is uh, needed is uh, uh, treatment plants, uh, water treatment plant, wastewater treatment plants now uh, is uh, sort of leave uh, the waterways alone. Uh, there, there is there is a lot of sand and gravel in the Moldovan, Moldovan rivers, which could sort of purify water um, year by year. Uh, it, what's also required is leave the for- forest alone that would help uh, also purifying uh, water sources. Um, it's uh, the... <clears throat> In 2014, uh, Moldova signed the association agreement with the European Union. And in the preparation towards this association, there has been a number of uh, laws adopted to um, prepare, like, to... um, was the word? Uh, to provide or not? No, no, to, to, ma- to make the laws, to make Moldovan laws uh, alike European laws. There okay, is align a, with it. Align, yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. <laughs> uh, to align Moldovan laws to uh, European laws. And uh, not the least in um, the case of water provision, because uh, uh, water quality is one of the worst in Europe and Moldova. And uh, uh, in uh, 2011, uh, the new pro-European alliance came to power uh, and the Moldova got uh, a lot of uh, money from uh, your various development agencies in uh, the EU, German, Austrian uh, developing agencies for water quality uh, improvements. Um, uh, and uh, uh, the law alignment has been uh, initiated there as well. So there have been some hope uh, for uh, for the reform. What happened in reality, however, is that uh, although the laws were aligned, that we didn't see any actual implementation. And when we uh, interviewed uh, in our um, case uh, analysis, when, to, when we interviewed uh, uh, some um, donors. Uh, public officials, academics, investigative journalists, consultants. Uh, What we saw is that um, the money 
from the developing agencies have been channeled for small scale, like visible changes for um, um, for this uh, for um, reformers to get uh, support, to get uh, visibility. Uh, instead of uh, investments to uh, improving the uh, long-term access to safe water. Yeah, yeah. Uh, What we saw um, in Moldovan case that uh, despite the presence of money, which is normally said like, okay, we cannot implement this reforms because we don't have money. But in Moldovan case, they had money. They had... uh, a lot of support from the European Union. These money were channeled towards gaining publicity for uh, the reformers, for the politicians who were implementing the reform and saying like, uh, yes, we are complying with the European Union, mm, um, with the European Union provisions. Uh, but uh, in reality, what happened is that they did not invest in the part of water quality provision that uh, took the most time and most um, um, investment, so which required long-term thinking, which is the sort of purifying the water sources, the um, installment of the water treatment plants, punishment of those who cut the forest, who extract sand and gravel from the uh, river rivers uh, of Moldova. Uh, since... Um, for example, there were a couple of uh, interesting cases. Uh, there are businesses operating in the. Um, uh, uh, there are many, like there are many in- incidents, but um, it's what what I'm saying is like one example of how um, the laws did not work, how the reform did not work. There are a number of businesses operating in Moldova by extracting sand and gravel. There are a lot of uh, money that can be uh, extracted uh, with the sand sand and gravel. They sell them for a lot of money. And But uh, the academic consultants uh, and sort of specialists that consult in the government on how to implement their reforms say that there should be laws banning the extraction of the sand and gravel because uh, it purifies it has purification uh, qualities for uh, uh, for the water um, and uh, um, the government's um, has connection to businesses. So uh, businesses have a connection to the politicians. And what then happened that along with the water quality law, uh, the government adopted something called the transportation development law, where uh, the provision was that the um, Moldovan rivers need expansion because they would like to build a huge transportation route along uh, them. Uh, some academics commented that uh, the um, rivers are not um, really suitable for transportation. No matter what you do, they're shallow. Uh, it's uh, basically impossible. So what we uh, could guess uh, from this example is that this transportation law was adopted for these businesses to have a leeway around the water law uh, and uh, make their practices of extracting sand and gravel actually beneficial for some of the Moldovan policies. Uh, so this is one of the examples of how uh, the water reform didn't work and how the corruption or the uh, connection between businesses and politicians uh, 
played out negatively for sort of establishing the water so, quality. So, so one relationship is the connection between business interests and politicians. Yes. Are, are there any other examples that hampers the the, the enforcement or yes. shapes the provision of water, would you say? Uh, for example, uh, another thing what we need for, um, uh, again, for implementing a water reform is strong um, a public administration, experts, and uh, uh, good quality sort of personnel that can uh, implement the policies as well as stability of the public administration so that uh, people... Uh, stay in the position, have an incentive uh, to uh, implement the reforms for uh, over a long period of time, over the time of their career, basically. Uh, but um, in uh, Moldova, the agencies are politicized. So with every change in power, the uh, heads of the administration, head, head, let's say, of the Ministry of Environment as well, other industries, they change to uh, reflect um, sort of the party change. Uh, the ministries are divided between the parties and therefore sort of the party leaders would like to have their leader heads. With the leadership head, the policy of the agency changes and there uh, there's uh, usually high turnover of personnel. So people don't stay in the positions very long. Uh, so even if they're experts, even if there is expertise, people don't stay long enough to pursue this uh, Pol uh, policy change or pursue this reform for a long time, and uh, mm, the even again, uh, if the, even if they're experts, uh, they can be hampered uh, by this um, leaders, new leaders that change um, and their new uh, policies. Uh, what uh, uh, another example I could say is, uh, uh, let's say there there is a pervasive corruption, especially like in the forestry sector. Forest is essential for keeping the water sources clean as well, but um, there are illegal logging going on on a huge scale, and there is no punishment. Inspectorates um, is saying that. Um, that it's very difficult to punish some of the illegal loggers, some of the violators, because uh, they will, it will have uh, repercussions for their job uh, themselves. So what lessons can be learned from Moldova at a time when more democracies than ever before are in decline, would you say? Uh, now... Um we could see that despite the developments towards democracy in Moldova, despite free and fair elections, uh, be, uh, despite the freedom of speech uh, and the uh, existence of alternative sources of information, the lack of governmental qualities of high corruption, um, connections between businesses and politicians, uh, sort of grand corruption as well as petty corruption, uh, for example, in the inspectorate, um, uh, which did not like um which did not allow the successful enforcement of the laws uh, the um unstable public administration uh, it all undermines the benefits that democracy could bring for uh the um, system for the political regime so uh i think like now that um there has been these unfortunate developments in many countries towards uh, authoritarian regimes I think um uh, a lot of emphasis should be towards strengthening um, institutions, strengthening um, 
the uh, quality uh, of government, strengthening the judiciary, strengthening the public administration that could perform checks and balances on, on the political leaders. Um, and uh, uh, I think uh, a lot of donors that work in this country, so long, uh, work with uh, uh, water quality issues, I think um, they should really think about how to um, um, allocate the resources in a way that would also uh, bring some changes in the structural conditions uh, in the country, not only uh, water projects or like, financing water project or whether to allocate the money through the government uh, at all um, through the main government channel. Sort of how to go around this uh, problem of low governmental quality, how to uh, make changes happen within the bureaucracies, let's say, within the inspectors, um, within the system and not only sort of uh, in the problem um, per se, such as uh, water quality. Thank you very much for uh, being on this program, uh, Marina. And uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you very much, Jesper. It was a pleasure. Water Q&A is a joint production for Global Water Forum by the Australian National University and University of Oxford. To find out more, go to www.globalwaterforum.org. Follow us on Twitter and find us on Facebook. Just type in Global Water Forum into the search bar.